0: Thank you for coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus for uh, allowing us to be here to study the truth of your gospel and of Jesus Christ, your son, that you've sent to the earth to shed his blood For our sins, that we might know you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you lead us and guide us this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You're at uh, the session, When Muslims uh, Attack the Faith, a teaser uh, for Christians are are woefully unprepared to defend their beliefs when confronted by devout Muslims. So how do we get ready to talk to Muslims? And good morning, my name is Joshua Lingle, and I teach uh, Christian Apologetics to Islam at Biola University. uh, And I'm also the president of I. Squared ministries together finishing the Great Commission amongst Muslims around the world. Uh, we, we provide training to, to churches and national movements to help fulfill the Great Commission amongst Muslims. I want to begin today by showing you a 13 minute video about the threat of Islam all throughout the world and the Great Commission and what our ministry and what we can do all together to, to partner to work together to complete that mission. So. Devout Muslims uh, attacked my faith when I was 18 years old. I was at the University of Washington, I was out in Red Square, and I saw a man who was six foot nine, he was on the basketball team, his name was Muhammad very large man had a long white haji robe that went down to his ankles. And I began to ask, I went up to him, I said, excuse me, my name's Josh Lingle. I'd like to share a little bit about what it is that I believe. And he said, sure. He said, my name's Muhammad. He looked down at me. I looked up at him. And, uh, and he said, sure, let's talk about it. For the next two hours, he began to ask a number of different kinds of questions that in that first year, the attacks of, on, the Islamic, on the Christian faith was very clear. He'd ask questions like this. He'd say, your Bible is corrupt. He'd say things, your New Testament can't be trusted. It. The gospel of Barnabas is a more truthful gospel. How can God have a son? Who is his mother? Did God have sex in order to generate Jesus? Uh, Jesus never died on the cross. Uh, where does the Bible ever say that I am God, worship me? Did, uh, is, he, is he three in one? How does that even make any sense? Uh, why does someone else have to die for your sins on the cross? Why can't God just forgive you? Uh, if Jesus was God, why, how did he pray to himself? Uh, why did Moses die in the Pentateuch if he wrote it? You know, uh, he'd ask, why are the prophets and the Bible all committing these big sins, adultery and so on? That's not true in Islam, it's completely false. And the end of the Gospel, Mark 16, 9 through 20, 1 John 5, 78, the story of the adulterous woman's missing in your early manuscripts, your text, so your Bible's clearly corrupted. And you have seven fewer books than the Catholics, so you, the Christians, uh, corrupted your book from the Catholics, and uh, you know, he'd say things like, Islam is the straight path, Muhammad's the final prophet to mankind. Uh, he's prophesied hundreds of times In your Old and New Testaments And uh, he, he began to go on to say the Quran is, uh, is, is the same There's not a letter or a dot or a vowel That's different from east to west A matchless miracle The Quran is Allah has preserved his word As opposed to the Bible It's a scientific miracle And more and more about these kinds of things about Islam It's a, it's a peaceful faith and so on It's simple, not complicated, unlike these contradictions in Christianity that comes from a failed, immoral uh, Western society that the Bible has basically produced. And so that was basically what he did. Then he did this. He got on his knees after about two hours. He did this, and he said, you get on your knees, and you call down fire from heaven from your God, and I'll call down fire from heaven from Allah, and we'll see whose God is God. Now I came to Christ a young life, and my leaders never taught me how to do that. So. <laughs> but here was the deal. It's that God spoke to me at 18 years of age. I'm looking around, i seeing a lot of university student kinds of age in here. At 18 years of age, it gave me my life calling. He said, son, he said, I've called you to study out everything you can about Islam and to train up the global church to target the Muslim world. And so there could be people in here today that you didn't even think about coming to the cl- this class or anything like it, but the Holy Spirit may intersect with, your, intersect with your heart and speak to you. So I was challenged by these kinds of questions. I to be ready. Uh, My attackers were pushing me back to the foundations of what it was that I believed. And they were going at these endless polemical attacks while Islam is presented in idyllic, glowing terms as being true. I was surprised by the intensity of these Muslims. I was surprised at the questions that they asked. They were trained and equipped for this discussion, but I had no preparation. And this is so typical of so many interactions between Muslims and Christians around the world. Since those days, I've extensively studied Islam at six universities, University of Washington, Harvard Law School, University of London, and others. Uh, J.P. Moreland and uh, Bill Craig were uh, at Talbot and so on. Uh, J.P. was a mentor of mine and so on. But I've studied in these different uh, institutions and taught thousands and thousands and thousands of people around the world to... In missions with Muslims and to confront Islam, and we've learned that there's three, three. If you're taking notes, uh, that issues that basically that debilitate Christians in these situations. Number one, the fear of persecution and suffering. That's that's one of the ones dealing with Muslims. The The fear of persecution and suffering at the hands of Muslims. Two, not knowing enough about their own faith, Christianity and three, not knowing enough about Islam. Now there's four steps that you can take to be ready in these attacks. Step number one, prepare for spiritual warfare. Prepare for spiritual warfare. Make no mistake, dealing with Islam puts you in the center of a fierce spiritual battle. The biggest demons on the earth, The biggest demons in the world are in Islam holding captive more souls than any other religion, false god, or ideology anywhere. It's the biggest. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing in every thought or or ideas into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Islam raises arguments and exalts itself against the knowledge of the true God. Our job as Christians is to warfare against Islam with spiritual weapons. These weapons are in the realm of love and learning in the the area of knowledge and ideas, in the area of thoughts and arguments. Make Jesus lord of your life if you're not discipled get discipled and then learn the answers to the questions muslims ask you step number two don't fear suffering don't fear suffering the new testament was written by suffering christians written to suffering christians for suffering Christians. That's who it's for. And the Bible explains, all, everybody that's in this room and throughout the nations, it's Christians, all who wish to live godly lives in Christ will suffer persecution. And the Bible explains that all who wish to live godly lives in Christ will suffer. It says in First in, uh, John 4, uh, or Matthew ten twenty-eight. do not... Be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can both destroy the body and soul in hell. And finally, in 1 John 4.18, it says, perfect love drives out fear. On the other hand, The Quran says, quote, in Surah 8, Ayah 12, chapter 8, verse 12, says, quote, I will cast terror, or fear, into the hearts of those who disbelieve. Therefore, strike off their heads and strike off every every fingertip of them, end quote. Jesus prophesies about this. In fact, uh, he says this, in fact, a time is coming, Jesus says, when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to... God to Allah. And so, and again, Jesus said of the devil, he says in John 10, ten that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that life more abundantly. Uh, so therefore do not fear at all. Be more concerned about the witness you're giving to the Muslims, exalting Jesus and being bold and effective than about your own life. Otherwise, you'll never be effective with Muslims on your own college campus, or whether you go to Asia, Africa, South America, wherever it is that you're with the Muslims. I know this is a missionary church going to different parts of the world. But you'll you'll never be effective with them fearing uh, your own safety and your own uh, uh, comfort, and you're constantly measuring your safety rather than expanding the kingdom of God and going boldly to where into all the world. Do, do what Jesus has told us to do. Step number three, learn the foundations of your own faith. Learn the foundations of the Christian faith. How do people recognize counterfeit money? And then the answer is they, real, they understand what it is by studying real money, the real thing. And in the same way, the Bible says, to study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, Ask your pastors or your college leaders to have courses offered in your local churches, Bible Apologetics, uh, I Square, there's many different ministries that can offer those kinds of training for you. But ask them to offer courses in the subjects of Islam and Christianity. There's no other way to learn about our faith than to study, study, study. It's hard work, sorry. (laughs) We must know God. You have to know God. And you must know his son, Jesus. In Christianity, the entire Bible is about God, making himself known and desires to be known in a covenant relationship with man. The Bible is clear that God walked in the garden, desiring to know Adam and Eve, calling him by name in Genesis 3, 8, and 9. He led Israel as a cloud by day and a fire by night in Exodus thirteen twenty one. He spoke to Moses, God did, spoke to Moses face to face in Exodus 13, Thirty-three, eleven. He came to the earth as the eternal Son of God, incarnated the man Jesus of Nazareth in John 1, 1, and 14, verse 14. He suffered and sacrificed out of love for us on the cross in Matthew 27, 35, in verse 50, and continues to lead his people by the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, 5, and 1, 8. God made continual covenants with men from Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, and so on. And so, uh, in fact, the entire Bible could be described by one scholar as God's empowering presence amongst us. God is knowable, and he's actually the main person in the whole story. And he should be the main person in the whole story of your life. If you're writing about your life, it shouldn't be absent any more than it is uh, in the New Testament. God should be present and you should be able to describe God's work and activity in your life. Now consider your own experiences. And remember, in Allah, in Islam, is not knowable. Did you know that? Allah in Islam is not knowable, very important point here. No Muslim, including Muhammad, has ever met Allah, ever. Therefore, they are not the same God. He's totally transcendent, he's not close, imminent, and close like we are. Jesus said, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit will go with you and empower you, and so on. Consider your own experiences with God if you're a Christian. Is God not a God who is knowable? Does he not speak to you, his disciples, in John ten twenty seven? 27? Did not lead you by his spirit in Romans eight fourteen? Are we not to bear the fruit of the spirit as in Galatians five twenty two to 25? And manifest his presence with signs and wonders from those that follow with those who believe as in Mark 16, 17, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, the whole entire book of Acts? Millions of Christians around the world are experiencing these, uh, these things day by day. So be sure to share your testimony with Muslims and, uh, and that you, when you're sharing the gospel and share about the part of you knowing God and how God knows you and how you've related and understood God and how he's led you. In Islam, it is simple blasphemy to speak about Allah uh, as knowable in a personal relationship with man. In Islam, Allah is unknowable. Muhammad never met Allah, nor had Allah spoken directly to him. Revelation reportedly came through an angel. Remember Galatians 1 verse 8, if an angel speaks to you from any other gospel, now let him be eternally condemned. So he was spoken, Muhammad was spoken by an angel that contradicts the historical first century witness in the Bible. So this separates Christianity and Islam forever. Is God knowable? Is God knowable? Is He? Do you know Him today? Do you? Do you? Do you know? I don't see anybody. Nobody, anybody know Him today? Anybody ever had God lead you by His Spirit? Any, anybody ever had God speak to Him? Speak to you? Okay. So all of that, all of those experiences, God's activity and His continuation, His power, His leadership in our lives and uh, in His mission. God is knowable. In Islam, this is impossible. For Christians, it is absolutely possible it's the center of the gospel. God is the gospel. What, why perform all the religious acts when at the end of your religion, you don't know your God, Allah? And so also, Muslims reject Jesus as the Son of God. So we as Christians must know who Jesus really is. Was Peter right when he said? Was he correct when he said that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, in Matthew 16, 16? Consider the importance of this belief. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. First John 5, 12. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, so that's very important, But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains upon him, John 3.36. Jesus is called the Son, or the Son of God, 77 times in the first century. 77 times in the first century New Testament. Jesus was crucified. Salvation can be known in John 3.16. Uh, 3, uh, salvation is by faith and not by works. There's only one God. God is a trinity of persons, revealed as Father in Philippians 1.2, as Son in John 1.1 1, 1 and 4, verse 14 in Colossians 2.9. And the Holy Spirit is God in Acts 5 verse 3 through 4. Also, Jesus showed up to his disciples and showed them what it actually means to be a human being in covenant relationship with him in Matthews 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the core center, central text for all of, all of your disciples that are discipling you. That's the core text that they should be discipling you in. Or, should we have to wait 630, 600 years after the time of Jesus, his earthly life, Believing in one man, Muhammad, that's what existed 600 years after the time of Jesus. That's when Muhammad's on the scene. To learn from Muhammad that Jesus is, he's not the son of God. He was neither crucified nor killed, as the Quran says. And that God is not a trinity of persons in that sense. And that there is no salvation through Jesus. And these are just a few reasons why Christians consider Muhammad demonstrably a false prophet. These are the reasons why. That's, that's why. that's why you believe it. I don't know if you knew that, but that's why you believe it. Okay, there it is. Okay, so. All over the earth, they don't know why, but then they go, yeah, that is why I believe it. So, okay. In Surah 4i 171, listen, it says, the Quran says, quote, say not three, Desist, it is better for you. Allah is one, only one God. Far be it from his glory that he should have a son. No, think about it. No historian would accept information coming 600 years after the time or an event as, as valid than what was written during the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of that event. Nobody would do that. No historian does that. All historians agree that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the New Testament witness are the earliest first century writings available for Jesus Christ. No historical scholar, Christian or secular, uses the Qur'an for information about the life of Jesus. There's 93 verses in the Qur'an about Jesus. Nobody goes to those. Nobody. Secular Christian, why? Because they're not historical. Because the Qur'an comes at least 632 years after the life of Jesus, and that's debated in scholarly debates, but more about that later. And the more you study the scriptures, the more you'll be anchored in the truth. Now, unfortunately, many so-called evangelical Christians are replacing truth with heresy. I'm switching subjects here. When doing missions to Muslims, and I'd like to briefly touch on something that you may not have heard about, but it's very important for you to understand uh, so so that you will be... uh, understanding what these things are. In Christian missions to Muslims today, uh, they're called insider movements. It's something that we called uh, Chrislam. This book here, we just put out uh, 25 chapters, 18 professors and scholars uh, put out Chrislam. We sold 2,000 copies in the last five weeks. You can only get it on our website. I brought 15 copies, there the last 15 available. So if you want that, uh, we have to republish it again. So it's available for you. But some of the examples here include missionaries who are saying that, for a 22-page 22 22 paper, that you can say the Shahada, a Christian can say the Shahada, there's only one God, Allah, and Muhammad's his prophet, as a Christian. That uh, there, there are what are called Bible translators, so Christians are saying Muhammad's a prophet in some sort of way. In Bible translations, they're removing Father God, Son of God, or Son of Man from the Bible. So, for example, in Malay, in Arabic, in Bangladesh, there's about 40 different translations where they change Son of God in some way and take it out. Well, we just talked about how important Son of God is. So this this is central to salvation, yet they're taking out of the Bible. So I translate them back in my chapter on Islamizing the Bible, back from Malaysian, from uh, Arabic, and from Bengali, back into English, so people can say, oh, they're calling Jesus Prince, or, or Isa al masi Jesus the Messiah, but it's not the same as eternal sonship. For Father, they're calling him Lord, or guardian. Well, how do you have a trinity if you call God the Father Lord and guardian? So what's happening is an attack from the faith, the Islamization of Christian missions to Muslims, is happening in our generation, and it's the Christians that are actually a part of, in the name of contextualization and missiology, is, is adopting uh, uh, these, these kinds of approaches, and they're completely uh, theologically wrong. <laughs> so uh, don't do that, don't change the Bible, and don't, use, and, don't, and don't cut all their finances. You know, these people, people that are doing this, uh, Dr. Rick Brown from SIL Wycliffe, I wrote, uh, I wrote on, on him, and others, they're, 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 they're the people that you would think from all the major reputable Christian organizations, you, you would know, if I mentioned them all, you would know them all. These are the people who are actually, some of them are involved, and so you have to assess those things. So this book was the first book ever written on that subject after about 30 years of people developing these things. So converts will, uh, or believers, they'll call themselves Muslims, not Christians, or Muslims, followers of Jesus, of Isa. Uh, insider converts are encouraged to continue attending the mosque as a central place of Islamic prayer, so they don't go to the church, they stay in the mosque. So how do you ever disciple people in a mosque? Um, the con- convert prays the Salat, as he does with Muslims bowing towards Mecca, and so on. Uh, he says the Shahada, affirming Muhammad's prophethood, and the Christians legally become Muslims uh, in that context. And so, you know, some of them even suggest going on Hajj or pilgrimage. Um, I could tell you more about this, but these important areas, especially theologically assessing it, is looking at, you know, the changing of the Bible. I don't, does anybody in here change the, think it's okay to change the Bible, father, son? I hope not, so, uh, but basically, you know, change the Bible, father and son, you should never do that, okay, <laughs> I mean, you know, first-year you know, first Christians know that, you know, and, you know, the thing is this, is that people died, suffered, been burned alive, cut in half, cut in two, all of the world, because they believe in the Son of God, they may not know a lot, but they know that, that He's the Son, and they trust Him, so, you know, where, this is a very important issue to address and to, to be up on. Um, Step number four, moving on. Deepen your study and knowledge of Islam. Study the early origins of Islam so you can counter the idyllic ways that Muslims present it. Is Islam actually the straight path? Is it what the simple and pure way in contrast to the contradictions of the Christians and a failed immoral technocratic Western society that it's produced, the Bible's produced, and so on? So to answer that, here is the actual history of Islam. And you guys, all over the world people, have never heard this, but I'm I'm a scholar in the early origins of Islam. That's my area. and, And textual criticism, radical Islam, and so on. But basically it's this. In 622 AD, and I have about... 200 references here for every single issue I'm gonna mention, (laughs) so um, uh, 200 references total, not every issue 200 references, so so total 200 references. So, uh, but in 622 AD, Muhammad had a mere 100 Muslims convert to Islam when he migrated from Mecca to Medina, and Allah, the Islamic god, instructed him to warfare in the way of Islam. By Muhammad's death uh, 10 years later in 632 AD, Arabia was entirely Muslim. The majority of pagans, Jews, and Christians were killed, converted, or chased out of the Hejaz. Western Arabia, Hejaz is Western Arabia, Mecca and Medina, those two, those two cities. Now these were not defensive battles, as some Middle Eastern studies professors and Muslims and so on will say, that, that as, as they present. But two-thirds of these battles, uh, as you look at them, the 86 Samad battles that, that Muhammad was involved in within ten year, a 10-year period, um, and the Muslim soldiers. They were, they were uh, offensive battles, uh, plundering pagan tribes. The earliest surviving uh, recorded biographies of Muhammad report these 86 battles. So if you go to The Life of Muhammad, translated in 1955, Oxford Press, pretty good press translation, uh, by Alfred Guillaume, uh, republished in 2002. You can find it on Amazon for 25 bucks. Uh, it's a 900 page book. So this book, I have all my, all my students have to read it, so. So this earliest surviving biographies report uh, these 86 battles in a replete with uh, killings. These are all the footnotes, sorry, I can't show you them all, but uh, assassinations, beheadings, mutilations, stealing, taking wives and concubines, lying, slavery, torture, forced conversions, and rape. So that's to name a few. Indeed, nearly 75% of the 813-page Life of Muhammad covers the Muslim battles. And Muslim armies killed one million Christians uh, and Jews, pagans, and Zoroastrians in the first 10 years of the Islamic conquest. That's very important to know. Within 100 years, 50% of global Christianity was under Islamic rule. 50%, including Middle East and North Africa and places like Sudan today. Since 1983, there's been some two million that have been killed since 1983. In the country of Sudan, I was in uh, Nigeria in Jos a couple years ago and 500 Christians were killed in the city I was training all the the Christians in, targeting the Muslims. Uh, 19 churches were burned to the ground, pastors, wives, and children killed and so on. So let's transition to the Quran. What about the Quran? The revelation and supposed prophecy of Muhammad. Now we're told commonly by Muslim scholars such as Milana Mahdoodi that the Quran contained the word of Allah and it has preserved the divine revelation unalloyed by human interpolation of any kind, unaffected by any change or loss to the original. Later in the same work, Milana Mahdoodi, the creator of modern Pakistan, uh, he, would, he would have been an inspiration to uh, the Ikhwan, the Muslim Brotherhood, and Osama bin Laden, people like that. Uh, in the same work he says that the Quran, the book he gave to mankind, exists in its original text without a word, listen, without a word, very important, not a syllable, or not even a letter having been changed. Did you understand that? Now is this true? Now, Abdu, who's here with me, said, said make sure you tell them that only two or three scholars in the world even know about this information, because that will be, make it real interesting for them. But you're about to see Arabic manuscripts that people have never seen before. Go ahead. So let's let, just look at the, one of those things, just simple, and, and assess Maudite's, uh words, the missing vowel and the dot. Dr. Arthur Jeffrey uh, shows us thousands of textual variances from the Islamic traditions between uh, the Quran and the manuscripts in his book, Materials for the History of the Quranic Text, published in 1937. Early Quranic manuscripts do not use many vowel points and dots compared with the modern manuscripts by which today's Quran is based off of. The Quran today is based off of a 1924 text from Cairo. Did you know that? Well, that's very important to know. When Muslims are looking at all early manuscripts and doing textual criticism, it's very important to understand the Quran itself and compare apples with apples and oranges with oranges. Now, if these dots were added later, how is it that they come down from a law preserved by a matchless miracle? Uh, so, for example, you can see here, this is the 1924 text from Cairo here, and this is the Fatah Dhamma those are the dots that are, are the uh, slashes, the short vowels, above and below the text. But you'll also notice in these early texts here, this is a, what are called the Hijazi uh, Qurans. Uh, they're the earliest Qurans that do exist, and uh, uh, as I said, only four people actually work on these Qurans on actual manuscripts around the world, but they don't actually have these actual variances here. So. Um, uh, if you look at these, you can see that the missing dots and vowels are above and below the text. You can just, anybody, you don't have to know Arabic to know that, you can just see it. So the a, uh, the e, the, the u uh, sound is all, is all missing. And likewise, you can see where it's highlighted that these, these yellow marks, that there are long alifs, long lines like this. There'll be one or so missing in the text. So That's just a letter assessing what Maududi and other scholars would say. I could show you about 60 quotations from Muslim scholars that would say the Quran's perfect. Okay, so um, let's move on. Now their holy book, uh, other, other manuscripts show missing words, uh, multiple word variances, and have entire chapters missing in the middle of the text. So their holy book, as the Quran, does not hold up to their own standards, yet they apply the same standards to our Bible. Among the more interesting variances are several uh, that come from the same page of an ancient Quran one of which is a multi-word variant uh, and others that are shown below this one is actually one that's shown where you can see Allah uh, uh, is it, they forgot Allah in the middle of the text so he yeah, had the scribe you know that's kind of sad you know you forgot God <laughs> you know and so you know so you come back and the text is there and he wrote back in the word Allah in Arabic uh, so uh, if we can move on to the next one In in this one, the the uh, end of the surah in Surah sixty-seven skips Surah sixty-eight and seventy, and then goes straight to seventy-one. So obviously, then a a text critic would put in the early manuscripts. You say not in early manuscripts. No, this is devastating for one point six billion Muslims. Okay, so maybe the Shiites would not have as much of a problem with it, but the whole eighty-five percent of Osama bin Laden radical, three hundred million radical Muslims, and so on. This is a very important issue. So. If there's even the smallest discrepancy between our biblical manuscripts, they call them corrupted. The claim of the Quran, quote, the claim of the Quran in in Islam in general is perfection in preservation by divine decree. That's the view. In a text which is only valid if it's preserved for all time and a multitude of divergences is unforgivable. As for biblical manuscripts, we have substantial, substantial, reliable texts preserving the life and works and the words of Jesus. All manuscripts, all holy books, have variances in their texts. The problem is is that the Muslim's view of inspiration is that if there's any variances, their Bible their Quran's corrupted. Now, where, where, do, where are Muslims actually where's the challenge for Muslims today? In 1908, Dr. Samuel Weimer uh, underestimated the Muslim challenge, saying that Islam would die out in 100 years under colonialism. At that time, there were 230 million Muslims in the world, with only two, uh, 28 missionaries actually working amongst them. Uh, 100 uh, years later, the Muslim population has multiplied by seven times to 1.6 billion today. In 1980, just 30 years ago, there were only 8,800 million Muslims, and that number has doubled in our lifetime for uh, for most of us. Um, In nine years, Islam will surpass the total population of global Christianity, both Catholics and, uh, and Protestants combined. There's already today twice as many Muslims as there are Christians. So unless the global church finally takes up the challenge and takes the Muslim challenge seriously and begins to resource transnational, global Christianity, disciple and train and deploy and evangelize the Muslims, we're not not gonna fulfill what Jesus said. Only 15% of Muslims actually speak Arabic today. Uh, Islam is predominantly an Asian religion with one billion Muslims that are Asians. Did you know that? Asians need to understand that, that there's one billion Muslims. So Islam is primarily an Asian religion. You have to get that. Uh, In places like Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and India are each 120 to 200 million Muslims. Uh, Muslims represent a majority population in 57 nations of the world. There are 40 huge populations of Muslims in minority nations. Uh, Muslims are in every country of the world. Uh, 40% of all unbelievers on the earth are Muslims. So Christians have to, every single one of us has to be trained to reach them. So the need is massive, and sadly at present there's only one missionary for every 420,000 Muslims in the world, and 38,000 Muslims die and go to hell every day. In the past 20 years, 30 million Muslims have moved into the West with 6,000 mosques that have been built in Europe alone. 87 billion dollars has been spent by Saudi Arabia for their mission of Islamic Jihad and the Islamization of the West. To put this in perspective in Christianity, what the Southern Baptist denomination spends, the largest sending group, US sends about 130,000 missionaries of the world, what the Southern Baptist spend on missions, Saudi Arabia spent, in, in an entire year, Saudi Arabia spends in just three days. We need leadership. We need resources, training, and organizations. Organization. Muslims are doing a a good job of attacking and reaching the Christians with 1.6 billion Muslims in 97 nations, you can be certain that the Islamic challenge is coming your way if not already here. Uh, Prepare yourself so you'll be ready to hold out the word of life for Muslims who desperately need a savior and need your relationships. The biggest problem in the world is not radical Islam, that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem in the world is nominal Christians and if you're nominal, you're the problem. We have to be making disciples. Nominal Christians are not involved in the Great Commission. Nominal Christians are not making disciples. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not doing what Jesus said to do. And that's the main thing that a church makes, is a disciple that can fulfill the Great Commission. We cannot wait 20 more years. We can't wait 20 more years or 30 more years for everybody to get involved. People need to get involved now. If Jesus is King and Lord and gave us the mission, we need to follow Him. The church has all the resources, the money, training, gifts, the spirit's power. Just looking at this conference here with William Lane Craig and JP and all these people around the world, some of the top guys are here, but we have the people to be able to target the Muslims and to learn from, uh, learn how to reach them. Out sharing the gospel on a Friday night, a Saudi Muslim approached my evangelism partner saying, do you remember me? He says, my name's Muhammad. I became a Christian after uh, the one night you shared the gospel with me. And out of the back of his pocket, he pulled out a baptism certificate. This is a year later. Um, and he, he, was, he was proud of this. And he said, thank you so much for sharing the gospel with me. This is a Saudi, Saudi raven guy. He says, and he whispered and said, thank your friend with all the book knowledge. <laughs> now, that was one year later that we had shared the challenge for you. Over the past 30 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than than all 1,300 years combined previously. Hundreds of thousands of Muslims are becoming Christians today. What if the church were to finally train their people, make sure that every single one of us, every single one of you, were trained to be able to share the gospel with them, all of them, and to turn their resources in the church towards the Great Commission in the Muslim world? What if we were to do that finally and complete and fulfill the Great Commission? Next slide. This is the book uh, Chrislam that you can uh, get. There's only 15 copies left. There's no more printed. (laughs) So, uh, and then finally this is, we have uh, 35 courses in Muslim ministry and Islamic studies. God told me to put nine years ago the best professors in the world. On video, so we put 35 courses on video, 10, 55 minute talks, 10 hours to go through each course. Uh, and then we're putting those into 80 languages so that every single church in the earth, and maybe with your help, you would help take it to China, you'd take it to Malaysia, take it a lot of Chinese. I see a lot of Chinese Christians in here, is that right? And to Malaysia and Indonesia, am I wrong? Are you Koreans or Chinese? Both? Both. Okay. So we need, I was just with David Cho in the 100 largest churches in. In, in North, in, in uh, Korea, and we were talking about with the, with the very top leader of each of those churches, biggest churches in the world, how do we complete the Great Commission amongst the Muslims? It's the biggest challenge, it's the biggest leadership gap, and we need your help, 100% participation in the Great Commission. Will you do it? Yeah. Raise your hand if you'll do it. Will you? Don't lie to me. <laughs> A lot of lying Christians out there. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would communicate what it is. Give a vision, dreams, signs, and wonders that would affect people and that they would call them forth, your people. Holy Spirit, call forth your people to love the Muslims and to finish the great commission. We pray in this generation. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Biola University offers a variety of biblically-centered degree programs, ranging from business to ministry to the arts and sciences. Visit biola.edu to find out how Biola could make a difference in your life.